It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We've stayed in the rooms a few times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The original rooms do not have bathrooms. They have community bathrooms down the hall. You know, I'm a little hesitant with the community bathroom thing, but it's not a big deal. Like, you just... (laughs) Walk down the hall in your underwear in in the middle of the night. (laughs) But what you have to be careful about is the bathrooms, the community bathrooms that these rooms share are also the same bathrooms that visitors to the lodge use. So you could be standing there in your underwear brushing your teeth and somebody who just had dinner downstairs is coming in to use the bathroom. (laughs) Well, how how do they know that I didn't just come in? In my underwear. <laughs> well, see, to they brush don't. My teeth. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're talking about a park that's near and dear to our hearts, Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. The centerpiece of the park is Mount Rainier, the most glaciated peak in the U.S. But the park contains 236,000 acres and is surrounded by other areas to explore like valleys, rivers, waterfalls, old growth forests, and subalpine meadows. That's right. 97% of Mount Rainier National Park is designated as wilderness. But we're going to discuss the other 3%, the developed areas of the park, where you can take some scenic drives, go on some jaw-dropping hikes, check out the park's visitor centers, and spend time in some historic hotels. We'll also tell you the best months to visit and other important details to help you plan your trip. Okay. (laughs) It's time to start having fun again. (laughs) Oh, are we on? We are on. Oh, good morning. We are feeling extra, extra energetic and happy this morning because... Because why? (laughs) Because last week we got our second shot our second vaccine and so now we are fully vaccinated and then i didn't realize until a few days ago that you get all sorts of free stuff if you show your vaccination card i know how did we not know about this before no i saw that uh, budweiser beer is doing a campaign where they give a free beer if you if you show your vaccination card i'm not sure how you go about that that's all online and you know what else no was on there crispy cream donuts you get a free donut oh wow so we should go <laughs> 
we should just go out with our vaccination cards and just go store to store asking Start begging what, for stuff. What, what does this get us? You know what? I was thinking about this great campaign that bars and taverns could do to help drum up business because, you know, they've suffered terribly in the past year with a lot of them had to shut down and now they have limited capacity. Here's the campaign slogan, a shot for a shot. Oh. Isn't that so good? Do we get get two shots? Well, yes, I think you would. So you take your vaccination card in, show it to them, and you get a celebratory shot. Right. And then, of course, you know, you'd probably stay and drink some more. I think it would it would drum up business. It would be it would be like a goodwill gesture to the community. Yeah, I'm waiting for the the third shot, the booster. <laughs> I'm ready for my booster. <laughs> anyway, if there are any uh, bars or taverns out there and you'd like to use my slogan, a shot for a shot, I'm willing to share. Or if Budweiser just wants to send beer to our house. <laughs> That would work, too. <laughs> that would work, too. We'll we'll take any free stuff we could get. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? We are on our Volcano Series. Mm-hmm. Number two in our Volcano Series, we're going to talk about Mount Rainier. So last week, we talked about climbing Mount St. Helens or crawling up Mount St. Helens. <laughs> and this week, we're going to not only stay in the state of Washington, we're going to stay on the Volcano theme. And we're going to talk about uh, Mount Rainier. That's right. So Mount Rainier is a national park in Washington. It's actually one of our favorite national parks. And lucky for us, it's the closest park to where we live. It's about 68 miles south, southeast of Seattle. And from where we live, it takes us about two hours to get there, depending on what the traffic's like and which section of the park we're going to. Yeah, there's not a real straight route there. And we'll talk about this in this episode. There's different entrances to the park. But uh, yeah, it's not that far from where we live. And it's it's a beautiful site in the Pacific Northwest because you can, you can see Mount Rainier from almost anywhere. I know. When we first moved to Seattle 20-some years ago and I could see that mountain looming up. It was. It looks almost fake because it's so prominent from wherever you are in the city of Seattle. Uh, such a such a wonderful, iconic mountain for all of us who live here in this area. And it was one of the very first national parks in the national park system. Mm-hmm. Back in uh, 1899, it became a park. Well, that's right. So, Matt. Karen. That was on my part of the outline because you know what? It's time for History Channel. <laughs> oh, I, I was auditioning for the History Channel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and that's I, mine. Did, it, did, the, did the audition not go well? You're fired. Okay. Well, I was never hired, so and I didn't get ever get paid. Well, neither do I. Okay. So this is when I go. I'm going to go down to Krispy Kreme <laughs> and get my donut. You go ahead and do your History Channel episode. I'll be back. All right. If I give you my card, can you get one for me too? I, yeah. And then I'm going to the bar and getting four shots. <laughs> And then I'll be back. We'll talk about the volcano. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So I just want to read what what the Matt Rainier NPS website says. And there's a reason I'm reading this, and we'll talk about it in a second. So here's what they say. Businessmen, scientists, teachers, mountain climbers, and ecologists united their efforts to lobby Congress for six years to protect Matt Rainier as a national park. 
Their efforts were rewarded when President McKinley signed legislation on March 2nd, 1899, making Mount Rainier our fifth national park. Now, Matt, this is your favorite thing. You know what it's time for? It's time for a pop quiz. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I know that's, that's not I, on the I haven't, had my, I haven't had my third shot yet. Hold on. <laughs> okay, Matt, what were our country's first five national parks? I don't know. Okay, Karen, what was what were <laughs> what was number twenty and twenty one? All right, you know this. Come on, you uh, can figure it out. Well, I know Yellowstone was the first, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know this, but Sequoia was the second. Oh, I think we talked about and that then, on our Sequoia podcast. And then quickly after that was Yosemite. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. What's uh, number four? Number four was King's Canyon. I don't know, because it's right next to Sequoia. I don't know. Olympic? No, not King's Canyon. Not Olympic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt, this was a trick question. <laughs> Because you know what? <laughs> no, is this a question <laughs> in a question? No, I don't know what. When I looked up the, the first five national parks, on every single list I saw, Mount Rainier came in at number four. Hmm. But the reason I read that off the park website, because Mount Rainier's website says it's number five, but every single other source I looked at said it's the fourth national park. So I don't know what the discrepancy is there. <laughs> so here's a tip. <laughs> when you're telling a story, have a point. <laughs> it, it makes it so much more interesting for the listener. <laughs> No, I'm just saying it could be number four. It could be number five. If anyone knows, please write to us and let us know. Okay, you, I think <laughs> you're getting fired from the History Channel. I think I am too. Okay, so let's talk about Mount Rainier, some of the statistics about Mount Rainier. Well, I know one thing, because this sticks in my mind, that it's 14,410 feet tall. It's the tallest peak in the lower 48. Mm -hmm. And it has the highest prominence. The prominence is the... The distance between the surrounding area and, and the peak. It's one of the tallest prominences in the world. And it's an active volcano. Yes. Mount Rainier is considered the most dangerous volcano in the Cascade Range because of its height, its proximity to a major metropolitan area, frequent earthquakes, and its extensive system of glaciers. I read that if only a small part of this ice were melted by volcanic activity, it would produce enough water to trigger enormous debris and mud flows. Ooh, I wonder if that will happen anytime soon. Yeah, you know, back not. in 1854, the Seattle newspapers reported an eruption because people said they saw steam coming from the mountain. But the USGS website says that evidence found on the mountain back then doesn't back up that claim. The most recent eruption, they think, was about a thousand years ago. That's right. Mount Rainier is one of those Cascade Range volcanoes that we talked about last week where the threat potential is very high. Ooh. Now, let's talk about how Mount Rainier got its name, because this is interesting. And I know the answer. You go go right ahead. <laughs> I think I think you got this answer from me, because I always tell this story to, to our friends and people who don't care about the answer. Well, go ahead, Matt. No, I want to hear your version. This, this is your second audition for the History Channel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if you can nail it. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I know that the indigenous people, the, the native folks, uh, called it Tahoma or Tacoma, depending on the pronunciation, forever and ever and ever. But then when George Vancouver was exploring the area way back in 1792, when they saw the peak from their ship, George Vancouver decided to – so he's naming all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. As they're, he's naming mm-hmm. everything that they, they come across. And he named Rainier after his friend, Rear Admiral Peter Rainier. It just stuck. And that's the white man's name for the mountain. And, and uh, yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that's how it got its name. Very nice. That was good. I'd give that a B plus. <laughs> Who are you? Okay. <laughs> because one thing you didn't mention is – Peter Rainier, who the mountain is named after, never stepped foot in the Pacific Northwest. And as a member of the British Royal Navy, he actually fought against American forces during the revolution. So now there's kind of a controversy. Why is Mount Rainier still named Rainier after this guy? I don't know. Is this a real question? I I confuse (laughs) your real questions with just rhetoric questions. There's been a movement underway for years to change the name of the mountain and the park back to Tahoma or Tacoma. So we'll see what happens. You know, they did, as we mentioned in our Denali podcast episode, they did change Mount McKinley back to Denali. So it could happen. I don't know. There are people for it and people against it. But it seems to make sense to me that it would go back to the indigenous name. So we'll I, see. I would give your description a B minus, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I don't have a History Channel show, so what, what do I know? What do you know, Matt? So, Karen, tell us when the best time to visit the park is. Okay, and this is important because a lot of people plan their trips to uh, to visit the park in May and June. And if you want to hike at the higher elevations and you want to see all of the park, you need to wait until July till some of the snow melts and the roads open. So I think the best time to visit the park is July through September. If you want to do summer activities. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole list of winter activities. It's harder to do those. There's only one entrance open to cars, the Southwest Nisqually entrance during the winter, uh, during those months, November through May. And that's always open. That's the Longmire District. And you can usually drive from there up to Paradise, but sometimes they close the gates when there's too much snow. And, and we've been up there many times in the winter. It's, it's a beautiful area and driving up to Paradise is great in the winter. Although, if you plan a trip out there in the wintertime, just know that if it snows heavily, that road might be closed and Longmire is as far as you're going to get. Right. And we're speaking from experience because we were there just this past New Year's Day and we stayed for a couple days at the hotel in Longmire, which we'll get to in a little bit. And we had three days planned to snowshoe up at Paradise and all three days, they never opened the gate because the first day it was kind of raining and snowing and then it turned to snow up there and it snowed so much that they never opened the gate. So it's kind of tough to plan a winter trip there if you're out of state. Yeah, they got they got over a foot a day mm-hmm. and uh, they were dealing with avalanches and of course you don't want to be on the road when there's an, an avalanche comes and covers the road. So they were having to clear avalanche after avalanche and never opened it. Right. And you know, they get about 650 40 inches a year up at Paradise. That's the average. It is a great place to snowshoe and sled and all that. But um, again, that is a winter activity. So let's talk about summer. A question we get asked 
often about most parks is if I'm coming from out of state, how many days should I plan for a particular park? So for this park, a summer visit, you just maybe a, a few days? Yeah, I'd say days, I'd, I'd say probably three. And I think the areas in the park where you'd want to concentrate your time, the areas with the most things to see and do are located on the east side of the park and the south side. And also one tip, <laughs> try to plan your visit midweek and avoid the weekends because there's so many people from the surrounding areas, Seattle, that go hike on the weekends. It is just really, really crowded. And like you said, if you're coming from out of state, I, I wouldn't plan anything until July. It could be mucky and still a lot of snow in the upper areas. Mm -hmm, for sure. So the park is huge with the mountain right in the middle of it, but it has five developed areas. If you look at a map of a park, it's like a big square. Up in the northwest corner, there's the Carbon River Moich area. Um, and then in the northeast, there's Sunrise. Kind of east to southeast, there's the Ohana Pakash. Love the, that word. <laughs> the Ohana Pakash area. And then uh, south central is Paradise up, up on the mountain. And then in the southwest is Longmire. So there's five developed areas in the park. First, I want to mention um, in the northwest, the Carbon River entrance. Now, this is kind of an isolated area. It does not connect to the other areas of the park. You have to drive around. So if you only have limited time, I would skip this section because the Carbon River Road was washed out by the 2006 flood, and it's closed to cars past the park boundary. Now, they do allow bicycles and pedestrian traffic on that road. However, I just read that there are so many blown down trees on the road that it's impassable past about the four-mile spot into the park. Now, where we've been in that same area is the Moich Lake area. And to get to Moich Lake, there is a... Just to the south of the Carbon River Road, there is a dirt road, Highway 165. Um, it's unpaved, it's rough, and it is closed until about July 9th. So that will take you to Moich Lake, which is really cool. It is a beautiful part of the park, and we're not discouraging people to see it. It's just kind of hard to get from there to these other areas. Right. And there are a couple of really great hikes there. We'll just mention briefly. Yeah, the hike we did that was spectacular, the Ptolemy Peak Fire Lookout. Now, this is a an established uh, structure fire lookout, and they don't use these fire lookouts anymore for, for that purpose, but they're still there, and it's it's a beautiful overlook. So the Ptolemy Peak Fire Lookout hike was about five and a half miles round trip, and mm -hmm. it, was, it was, I would say, moderately strenuous. And then over there in that same area, the Spray Park Trail, which is about eight miles round trip. We haven't done that trail yet, but we've seen photos from it, and it looks spectacular. So anyway, if you have extra time after you've seen all these other things we're going to talk about, definitely check this area out. It is beautiful. It's just more remote than than the other places. If you're coming from the northeast, so you're driving south on Highway 410, so that's the Mather Memorial Parkway, and, and that's a beautiful drive. The entrance over there is the White River Sunrise area. Sunrise is is pretty high elevation. It's 6,400 feet, uh, and it's I think it's the highest area that you can reach by vehicle in the entire park. Mm -hmm. Now, being at elevation, it usually doesn't open until late June or, or early July, and then it closes probably the earliest of all of the areas. 
late September to early October. There's a visitor center there, a day logs that has uh, some food and a gift shop. Uh, and of course, it has spectacular <laughs> views of Mount Rainier. It's like Mount Rainier is in your face when you go up there. <laughs> yeah, you, you feel like you could reach out and touch it. And uh-huh. um, yeah, there's some great hikes there. We've done quite a few hikes over there, still a few on the list. One of my favorites was the Mount Fremont Lookout Fire Tower, another fire tower. Uh, It's about five and a half miles round trip. And the cool thing about this is you can go inside the fire lookout. Remember when we were there, there was a ranger in there, a volunteer ranger? Right. And he gave Mm -hmm. us some history. Mm -hmm. And he's also there to help tell you what you're looking at. (laughs) Um, And that is one of the most spectacular views from a fire lookout that we've been to. Yes, and it's a very popular place to photograph the sunset. We haven't done that. We did it just in the, in midday, but I've seen that a ton of photographers go to that spot to, to watch the sunset. And it is an established trail, so you're not going to get lost. And if you have a headlamp, you could do it in the dark. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another great trail that we did at Sunrise is the Burroughs Mountain Trail. Um, And that one has different burrows that you can hike to, depending on how much of a hike you want. And the burrows are like big humps. I wouldn't (laughs) Uh call them individual mountains, but they're humps. Right. And you're actually hiking towards Mount Rainier. Right. So the first burrow is at about four and a half miles round trip. The second burrow is a seven-mile round-trip hike. And if you have enough gas left in your tank to make it to the third burrow, that is about nine miles round-trip. Yeah, we got within spitting distance <laughs> of the third burrow. Um, there was quite a bit of snow. I forget what time of year we were there, but it was pretty late summer. Uh huh. And there was still – we had to hike – up a pretty good-sized patch of snow yeah. to get up to the third borough. And then this hike is completely in the open. There are no trees at all. So you are just looking at views in every direction. Yeah, and wear your sunscreen. Definitely wear yeah. your sunscreen. But Sunrise, even if you don't want to hike, I would encourage everyone to drive up to Sunrise. Check out the visitor center, walk around. There's some great viewpoints. It's absolutely balls. It's a what? I was looking up some synonyms for spectacular because I always say amazing and incredible. And literally, one of the words that came up was (laughs) amaze balls. Amaze balls? (laughs) One word. (laughs) Don't you love it? That's going to be my new word. Okay. 
I'm not going <laughs> to use that word. <laughs> it's a word. Trust me. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Another developed area in the park, the Stevens Canyon entrance, which is called the Ohanapakash area. And it has the Ohanapakash Visitor Center. Mm-hmm. Right that was there. one of the first places we ever went to at Mount Rainier, remember? It is. And we did, I think, the hike up along, it followed the Ohanapakash River. Mm-hmm. That's which right. Which took us about three and a half years to figure out how to pronounce Ohanapakash. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So a couple of hikes in that area we would recommend would be Silver Falls. And that starts at the campground. It's about three miles round trip. Beautiful falls. We'd highly recommend that one. And there's a pretty short hike that we like called Grove of the Patriarchs. And it's only about a mile and a half round trip, but it goes through old growth cedars, hemlocks, Douglas fir, huge trees. It has mm-hmm. a cool suspension bridge that you go across a little uh, Little river. And I would say that if you are not looking for strenuous hikes, if you don't want to climb up, 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 and you would like something fairly flat, this is the area for you. It's beautiful, and these hikes are absolutely gorgeous and fairly easy. Yeah. So from that point, if you're coming in that Stevens Canyon entrance down at the southeast, if you continue north on 123, you'll you'll get up to the White River Sunrise area. But if you head west on Stevens Canyon Road, you will be making your way to Paradise, which is very aptly named. It's the most visited and our favorite part of Mount Rainier National Park. It is truly spectacular when the weather's nice in, in the summertime and uh, the sun's out. Incredible views of the mountains and the area around it because Paradise, it's up. What, it's up about 5,400 feet. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not quite as high as uh, sunrise, but it certainly feels like it when you're up there. It does, for sure. So Paradise is a National Historic Landmark District. And the main feature of that would be the beautiful Paradise Inn, which was built in 1917. It's a historic landmark also. It's one of the great lodges of the West. It's a beautiful lodge, and it does give you that classic national park feeling Mm -hmm. when you're in it. That's right. You could imagine that it's any year in the last hundred years when you're sitting in the grand room. Right. This beautiful lobby with the, you know, massive stone fireplace. And they've kept a lot of the original furnishings. I know they have a they have a piano that was original to this lodge and they have a table that was original. So even if you're not able to stay there, we would recommend you go in and just have a visit. You could also have a meal in the dining room there. We've stayed in the rooms a few times, mm-hmm. the original rooms, and they've done a lot of renovation over the years, so it's it's in pretty good shape. Uh, the original rooms do not have bathrooms. They have community bathrooms down the hall, and then there's an annex, and those rooms do have in-suite bathrooms, and we've stayed in both of the rooms, and... You know, I'm a little hesitant with the community bathroom thing, but uh, it, it's not a big deal. Like you just <laughs> walk down the hall in your underwear in, in, right. in the middle of the night. And, yeah. But what you have to be careful about is the bathrooms, the community bathrooms that these rooms share are also the same bathrooms that visitors to the lodge use. So you could be standing there in your underwear brushing your teeth and somebody who just had dinner downstairs is coming in to use the bathroom. <laughs> well, how do, how do they know that I didn't just come in in my underwear well, see, to they brush don't. my teeth? <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> they don't know. But like a lot of historic lodges, uh, Paradise Inn does not have televisions or internet or cell phone connectivity. So it's it's a real getaway in every sense of the word. Now, it's only open from the end of May to early October. And you should see this place in the winter when the snow piles up around it. We have been up there snowshoeing around and most winters, the, what would that be? The west side of the inn is usually completely covered in snow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just the little dormers at the very top of, of the lodge are peeking out of the snow, but they literally have 90 foot drifts yeah. uh, up against that. And uh, if they have to, if they have to get in the lodge during the winter, which, which they do, I think they have caretakers. They dig a tunnel from the parking lot to the entrances so that they can get in there. Yeah, it would be fun to go inside in the winter. It must be obviously very dark because the windows are covered with snow. And right next to Paradise Inn is the Henry M. Jackson Visitor Center, which is absolutely beautiful. The architecture, it's fairly new. I don't know when it was built, but remember when we first visited the park 20 years ago, there was the old visitor the, there center up there? There was an old one. It kind of had a Space Needle feel to it. Maybe it was built in the same era that the Seattle Space Needle was built. It was kind of around. And, and it was it was interesting probably for its time, but they took that out and built a brand new modern one. It's, it's pretty pretty nice visitor center. It is. It's, it's a great place to check out. And of course, you can get all kinds of information from the rangers there. There are some great hikes from the Paradise area. We've done the Skyline Trail. It's about a five and a half mile loop. And it has about 1,500 feet elevation gain. So it's, I would say, moderately strenuous. Mm-hmm. It's uh, my favorite hike in the entire park. And you see glaciers and waterfalls and pretty spectacular wildflowers. I think the last time we did it was about mid-August and and the wildflowers were blooming then. And it seems late in in the summer, but because it's at such high elevation, the the wildflowers up there bloom much later. And a lot of marmots. A ton of marmots. So you can hike the Skyline Trail, obviously the loop in either direction. Most people... The trailhead is right at the parking lot. Most people head straight up and they do it clockwise. So for that reason, we like to do it counterclockwise because you're kind of going against the flow instead of with the flow. But yeah, this is a fantastic hike. And And we have seen uh, also on that trail a few times we've seen bears. So you got to keep your eye out for bears, mm-hmm. black bears. That's right. And this is somewhat strenuous as you're climbing up, but it is not uh, it's not scary as far as there are no steep drop-offs. I know a woman was asking us about that. No worries on this one if you have a fear of heights because there are no places to fall off the mountain right here. Yeah, I think some people get confused because a lot of climbers who are going to summit Mount Rainier start at Paradise. Reaching the summit. Now, this is something we've never attempted, nor do we have any desire to do. But climbing Mount Rainier requires a vertical elevation gain of more than 9,000 feet over a distance of about eight miles. Most groups do it in about three or four days, and they camp along the way. Kind of surprising. There's there's about 10,000 people a year who register to summit Mount Rainier. I know. That's a lot. That That is a mm-hmm. lot. But only about 50% of those are successful. Right. For a lot of reasons. 
And I did read that more than 100 people have died while trying to summit Mount Rainier, whether it's been because of falls or avalanches or rock slides. And also the weather has played a huge part in some of those unsuccessful attempts, as well as some of the deaths on Rainier. Storms frequently blow in and hikers get lost in whiteout conditions. Mm -hmm. So you do have to, especially if you're coming from out of town, you have to know that this particular mountain, the weather can change at any time. You do need to be prepared for that. Right. And there are lots of uh, mountaineer groups that you can hire to take you, which I would highly recommend unless you're extremely experienced. It is technical. You This requires ropes and crampons and it requires avalanche training and first aid training. It's a big attempt and it shouldn't be undertaken lightly. Right. So people we have talked to who have done it and stories we have heard, when the weather is perfect and the conditions are perfect, it's a fairly easy attempt, and then others, it's you know, they get turned around because of, of weather. Also, we know someone who uh, wanted to do it, got up to Camp Muir is a popular place for summiters to camp overnight before they uh, tackle the summit, and she got such severe altitude sickness at the camp that she had to go back down. So that's another issue. I think that turns a lot of people away as well. Yeah, so that's our sales pitch right there <laughs> right. for climbing Mount Rainier. <laughs> well, that's paradise. So let's go from paradise, then we can you can go west. Uh, west of paradise is the Longmire National Historic District. So this is down in elevation, and you can enter the park from that area also. Mm-hmm. And And back when this area became a park, it was the park's headquarters. That's right, back in 1899. And I love this area because all of the buildings in in Longmire are in that National Park Service rustic architectural style. Yeah, there's the National Park Inn that's in that Longmire district. And it was built in that style. It was built in 1906. It's not a big lodge. It's tiny. I think only like 25 rooms. Yeah. And the original one that was built in 1906, it, it burned down about 20 years later in 1926. And then all that was left when the original lodge burnt down was the annex. And now the annex is the inn. But it's open all year round. That's right. We stay there when we go in the winter. And obviously, we we live close enough. We could drive back and forth. But we would rather stay at least one night in the park so we have sunset and we have sunrise and we just have more time. So when we go in the winter, we always stay at the uh, National Park Inn. I love that fireplace room that they have. The fireplace room, the, one of the great things about the fireplace room is the hearth, the, where the fire is, it's extra large. And then the wood that they cut for it, they're extra large logs. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a big, roaring National Park feel fire. And you're sitting there, there's a few couches and chairs, and there's then there's some tables with chairs. So it could probably hold, I don't know, not during COVID season, but it, it holds maybe... 20 people. Yeah, it's definitely smaller than these other big lodges and big inns. It's much smaller, has a more intimate feel. Uh, But we love staying there. Also, if you are in that area, definitely take a walking tour and check out some of the other buildings. They have uh, they have an administrative building that's also the wilderness center in the summer. And it is very cool to see. And what there's a little museum there. 
Yeah, and there's some good hikes across the road. Uh, there's some ruins that you can walk through and some other hikes. And definitely walk back behind the Longmire area because there is a very cool wooden suspension bridge, the Longmire Bridge. And uh, we have about a thousand pictures yeah, we, of that bridge. We have lots of photos. We <laughs> One time when we were there in the winter, it had snowed the night before, maybe three or four inches. We were the first people in the morning to hike up to that bridge. There were no footprints on it. It was just the right amount of snow to accentuate the the architecture of the bridge. It was just spectacular. It was incredible. Yeah, and there are some employee cabins back there. So I love the Longmire District. It's definitely worth a stop. Um, And a few other roadside stops in that general area that I would say don't miss these would be Christine Falls. One of the prettiest waterfalls you'll ever see. Christine Falls is beautiful. We keep trying to get just the right picture of it. You kind of have to hike down below the below the road and then take a, a photo of the falls behind the bridge. But anyway, that's a beautiful area. And then there's uh, Reflection Lake. Uh, one of the most photographed spots in the park. We have been to both in the winter and the summer. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the winter, it's you know, covered in ice and snow. So there's not much of a reflection. (laughs) And then there's Narada Falls. Yeah. It's kind of a drive to and look over the edge Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. Pretty much any roadside stop at Mount Rainier National Park is going to be something incredible to see. But let's talk about the Wonderland Trail for a second. And the reason I thought of that is because from the National Park Inn, when we stayed there one winter, we snowshoed part of the Wonderland Trail for, I don't know, what, maybe five miles or so? We snowshoot part of it, uh, and in the summer we have hiked bits of it, mm-hmm. uh, just like day hikes, a few miles at a time. Now it's it's a ninety three mile loop trail that goes all the way around the mountain. Now you you do need permits to camp along that trail, and they're hard to get, and it's hard to coordinate, and it's a little bit of a challenge to get exactly the right campsites. And you don't need a permit if you want to day hike sections of it. And that's what we've done. And it's absolutely beautiful. Another thing that some people do, some friends of ours did, is they they got four nights worth of permits and they did a big section of it. I don't know how many miles, but that's another option. If you don't want to do all 93 miles, you could do maybe 30 miles or 40 miles and and see it that way and do that a couple of times. Yeah, that's probably the most practical way to to do the whole trail. People who have done that say that it's it's a difficult trail because it has a lot of ups and downs, even though you would think, well, it goes around the mountain. So, you know, wouldn't the elevation just be consistent? The average elevation, I think, is pretty consistent on that trail, but there's a lot of hills to go up and down. So it's, it's a fairly challenging trail to hike. That's right. And the other thing we've heard is that you almost never see Mount Rainier from that trail, <laughs> which <Right>. is interesting. <laughs> so that definitely some better viewpoints in the park than the Wonderland Trail, but still, I think that would be fun to do. So Matt, let's talk for a second about where to stay. Where to stay? So we mentioned a couple of them. There's the uh, National Park Inn in the Longmire area and then the Paradise Inn up up at the Paradise area, but it's closed in the winter. Now, there is a small resort to the northeast of the park, Crystal Mountain, uh, and then there's some small towns that are not too far away from the park that you could stay And if you want to camp, there are three campgrounds. There's Cougar Rock, there's the Ohana Pakash, 
and then there's the White River campground. So those three, mm-hmm. now there's no water or electrical hookups for any of those. Right. And Cougar Rock and Ohana Pakash do take some reservations on recreation.gov. So you could check that out. I think they they take some, some sites can be reserved and some are first come, first serve only. Um, so yeah, that is where to stay. If I were going to plan a trip to a mountain or near national park and I didn't live in the area. So we're traveling to the area from far away. I would probably schedule three days mm-hmm. for the park. I think so you too. could do more. Some of it unfortunately is contingent on the weather. Right. If you have beautiful weather, you're going to feel like staying there for three months. <laughs> it also depends on how much you want to hike. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're just driving from place to place and you're getting out and looking at the views a day or two, you could probably see it all. But if you want to do some of these hikes, you're going to need some more days. So three is probably a good um, average. Yeah. And we should mention, too, the thing about Mount Rainier is a lot of times – Mount Rainier, even on a beautiful day, is hidden behind the clouds. <laughs> it is large enough. Like like we said, it's a huge prominence. It's large enough that it literally creates its own weather. Mm-hmm. So you can have beautiful sunny day down below and then it, it's covered in clouds. Mm-hmm. We have taken day trips there where in Seattle in the summer, it's an absolutely beautiful clear day. And then we get to Mount Rainier to start our hike and it's completely hidden in the clouds. So... So just a heads up on that. I will say, too, though, that the weather changes quickly. It does. And the one of our last visits, we hiked Pinnacle Peak, which is another great hike. And it was cloudy and drizzly when we started. And by the time we got to the top, you could see the clouds were clearing and we hung out and it turned out to be an absolute beautiful day. So it can change quickly also. Yeah, when the clouds clear, it is certainly worth all the effort to get there because the views are spectacular. Yeah, you will never see anything more amazing than Mount Rainier. So coming up in our next episode, we're going to continue our theme of volcano mountain parks in the Pacific Northwest. And we're going to be talking about beautiful Crater Lake in Oregon. That'll be a fun episode. Mm -hmm. That's one of our favorites also, although they're all our favorites. I know we keep saying that. (laughs) They're they're like our children. (laughs) They're all our favorites. That's right. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in this week. We will have new episodes coming your way for another month or so, and then we'll be taking our newly vaccinated selves off on some summer adventures. So we'll have a bit of a break, um, a summer vacation, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, I'm bringing my vaccination card with me to see what kind of free stuff we can get. Oh, great. Well, I might have to pretend I don't know you. (laughs) If you've enjoyed our podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We currently have 645, and it would be my dream come true. (laughs) Here it comes. To get to 750. (laughs) I'm glad you have a new goal. I was worried about you. If you're planning a trip to Mount Rainier, the National Park Service website is a great resource for information. They have a road status page where you can get updates on which roads are open, and their maps are always helpful in planning the logistics of your trip. We'll post a link to their website on our show notes. You can find this on www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com. 
Click on the Episodes tab in the menu bar and then click on the title for Episode 41. Our show is produced by our very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our cover artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. We hope you all have a really amazeballs week. I'm going to learn how to edit our podcast episodes from now on so I can just take that word out. I, I promise you, listeners, I will edit any reference to amazeballs out of future episodes. Thank you.